Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Sad Times. I like to sit real close to this microphone and make my voice as melodious as possible. And I'm hoping that WLS calls me and gives me a show on the radio. This is Sad Times. My name is Kevin. I'm your host. For those of you who have never listened to Sad Times before, uh, this is a show in which we bring on a guest every week who tells stories uh, about when they were sad, upset, angry, or certain situations or life challenges they went through, traumas, to share their story so that you at home or washing the dishes or doing whatever it is that you're doing right now are able to maybe hear a story and say, you know what, I thought I was the only one who felt that way. The hope here is to help people feel less alone and feel more comfortable in sharing some of the challenges and traumas that they've gone through. Before we get to our wonderful guest, let's start with our two sponsors today. We have two sponsors today. Brent has been working extra hard. Thank you, Brent, for nothing. Um, All right. Sponsor number one is the overly enthusiastic clapping of game show contestants who also seem to have no control over the size of their eyes. You know when you wake up and just can't summon the energy? Well, look no further than the game show contestant who appears to have the strength of 10,000 suns, and that's just in response to an innocuous question about sperm whales. That's a good sponsor, Brent. Thank you. And our second sponsor is Societal Norms. Do you ever wonder what those cloying existential pangs are at the back of your mind when you're looking to make a pretty much, well, any decision, be it large or small? Those are us. And they are about as real as Teddy Ruxpin. We have been fucking each and every one of you since there's been a society. You're welcome. That's more like Brent. All right. All right. Well, we got the sponsors out of the way. As always, we thank the sponsors. Hopefully, hey, everybody, visit our sponsors. They give us so much. And and we hope that, you know, use the code F-A-K-E. That's F-A-K-E. Please use that code when visiting the websites I didn't read. Okay. Uh, Let's get to the guest. Look at her. She's sitting in studio across from me, my friend, Marina. Marina, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Oh, good. Excited (laughs) to have you. Um, So let's talk about how we know each other. You and I both went to a prestigious university in Southern Illinois. We won't name it. And you were a freshman when I was a senior. Yes, this is correct. And we were both theater majors. We were. Yes. Um, I I really go ahead. I didn't initially start as a theater major and then moved into psychology as well. I know. But there was a brief time where I was purely in the theater world, and those were the best parts. For the writers out there, that's what we call foreshadowing. (laughs) So you and I really got to, I mean, my house was where the parties were. It was, But we really got to know each other, where Brent's house was where the parties were, but Mm -hmm. then Brent graduated and went on to bigger and better things, like producing my podcast. Um, (laughs) No, in all seriousness, he hosts a very, very good podcast called Hysteria 51. If anybody does not know that podcast, go check it out, Hysteria 51. Okay. Um, You were my dresser in a show called Parade. Yes. Now, tell the people at home what a dresser is. I had to make sure all of your costumes were prepped and ready to go. And there were a couple of quick changes. I got to stand in the wings of the stage and help make sure that your costumes were on quickly enough and you were back on stage, ready to do your thing. Yep. 
Yeah, and you, um, uh, we were just discussing before we recorded. At the end, I had a quick change back into a suit after I'd been hanged. Spoiler alert. I mean, it's a historical thing. But, and you had to prep a tie for me, right? I do, and I believe I learned how to tie a tie for this exact occasion. So Is that right? It is, yes. I don't really remember how to do it anymore, so I can't be tested on this. But I'm pretty sure I remember being 18 and learning how to tie a tie and thinking, this is college. That. <laughs> This is called, This is why we're all going into right. debt. Yes. This is what my parents are paying tuition for. Right. Great. Right. So you mentioned earlier that you uh, changed your major to psychology. Yes. I, I added it on um, as, as a secondary backup option. <laughs> and now that you're a famous stage actress, yes. what happened to your psychology degree? Um, I decided to uh, continue that path, okay. actually, yes. I uh, went and got my master's in clinical psychology as well. Oh, wow. And so what, how, how are you using that today? So I'm a therapist. Oh, uh, great. Can we... Can we do just therapy do, right here, yeah, right now? Yeah, please. We'll kind of roll Actually, can we do couples the therapy then. with Brent and I? <laughs> Brent, yeah, come over here. It. We'll sit the on the love seat. Communication issues. Yes. Some mm-hmm. Empathy mm-hmm. building. Yes. Ooh, empathy here. building. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, how long have you been working as a therapist? Oh, gosh, a while now. Um, about 12 years, I think. 12 years. On. Yeah. Well, all, all joking aside, uh, I think that's a fucking noble pursuit, <laughs> and that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you uh you see any number of different things do you have any specialties or anything like that well we all say that we work with anxiety and depression because you know mm-hmm. we want to make sure we get paid and have clients yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of the general the general thing um but then on top of that my more specific specialties i really enjoy working with uh postpartum any kind of maternal mental health issues i do couples therapy but i try to limit it because i like to have you know my own mental health in place is that <laughs> so, a is that a particularly challenging very avenue yeah telling adults to stop yelling at each other is, yeah uh, <laughs> can only take so many hours of that in one day don't uh, worry brent and brent and i <laughs> aren't adults but okay. we will yell um okay so you and i when we we spoke before this and you told me that one of the things that you really feel that you would become even more and more uh, of a specialist and not specializing in mm-hmm. is like postpartum anxiety, postpartum mm-hmm. depression, that type of thing. Um, and how do you find that you're getting reached out about that every day? Yeah, I've been trying to, you know, kind of like word of mouth to referrals. As you see people, you kind of grow and take on more more of that space and that niche. Um, it's definitely a high need area. Mm. <laughs> so I do get reached out to about it, you know, at least every week, if not every day sometimes. Wow. So, yeah. And you have a daughter, right? I do. I do. She is about to turn seven this summer. Oh, seven. Is her name Kevin? Because when I turned seven, there was a <laughs> banner that said, thank heaven, Kevin is seven. <laughs> and the next year, m- my parents got divorced. That's not funny, Brent. What are you laughing about? See, empathy building. Yes, we work empathy building. <laughs> I've never seen Brent laugh that hard in my life. Okay. Uh, so she's turning seven yes. this year. Uh, okay. And were you still working? You said you've been working for 12 years as yes. a therapist. So you were working in the community of mental health when you were pregnant. I was, yes. I uh, Yes, I remember seeing clients when I was um, working at, 
at the community mental health center and I was pregnant and like as you becoming more visibly pregnant, my uh, supervisor at the time started throwing me all the pregnant clients because he was like, you're pregnant. So naturally, you must know what to do with these clients, uh-huh. even though I was still a fairly new therapist at the time and didn't know. Really and also the first time you'd been pregnant, right? And the first time I'd been you pregnant. You weren't like yes. an expert. No, yeah. <laughs> no, um, still wouldn't say I'm yeah. an expert in that. <laughs> right. Um, but I actually really enjoyed it and thought that was really fun and started taking on more of them. And then after I had my daughter and went into private practice, and then I kind of started uh, making that more of my niche and one of my favorite it's not my only population i work with but it's probably my favorite okay gotcha now i've been going to therapy for about six to seven hundred years mm-hmm. and one of the things i've had the same therapist for the past oh gosh 11 and a half years and uh one of the things that i always enjoy is every once in a while she will share something personal from her life that is is somewhat like um, an affirmation of what I'm going through, right? It's it's the version of you're not alone in feeling that way. Hey, I struggle with this. Um, and I think one of the reasons that you wanted to come on and talk was about your struggles with postpartum depression, although you said it's more postpartum in your case. My case, yes, yeah, specifically post- to me, but yes. Postpartum anxiety, mm-hmm. I believe is what you called it? Yep. Okay. So I think – you, as a therapist, do you believe that people, therapists need to go through things in order to uh, be a counsel, to counsel someone, like to be able to do, so like um, to have anxiety and depression? Um, well, so no, I think I'm actually a really big believer that, you know, you know, we shouldn't have the same problems as our clients. It helps us greatly when we don't. Actually, COVID was a weird time. Yeah. We're all like, pretty much all my therapy sessions were like, yeah, this sucks. And it's like, yeah, me too. I hate this. Yeah. Like, So that's not the best therapy. But mm-hmm. uh, I am a firm believer I don't have to go through it. I haven't gone through most of the things my clients have gone through. But this is one of the random, weird, like, specific areas where I find it actually is really nice because it is a nice thing to connect on. It, it makes, you know, my clients with postpartum feel a little bit more comforted that I tell them, you know, I pretty much always tell people off the bat, like, yeah, I'm a parent and that's, you know, part of who I am and you should get to know that about me if I'm going to be your therapist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will throw in little, not like stories, not fully taking on too much time with the stories, but I'll throw in little quips here and there of like, yep, I, you know, little, little ways that I can relate and let them know that, you know, one of the big things about postpartum is how isolating it is and that they are not certainly the only people who have gone through these things or thought these thoughts. And yeah, so I don't like to overshare. I try hard not to overshare. And it's so easy to overshare as a therapist. That's the thing. (laughs) People don't realize we could, I would love to just sit and talk about myself for an hour. Hence, I'm here today. Have you thought about but, getting a therapist? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that isn't, that's a novel idea. Yeah, I, should, isn't it? I should consider that. They're all so busy. I don't uh, find one these yeah, days. Yeah, well, God. I wonder why. I know. <laughs> I know. It's actually true. I feel bad. We are really too busy yeah. these days. It is a problem. Um, but yes, I do love sharing little, little things here and there to connect with my clients. That's awesome. Okay. So you have your daughter. Mm-hmm. And so take us back to just before you were pregnant. Like you and your husband were planning to have a baby. Was this, yeah? Yeah. So we, I just, there was just this one fine day. I remember being like, yeah, okay, I think I want to do it. Let's just, let's not overthink this because we'll think our way out of it. So let's mm-hmm. just do this now before we lo- lose our nerve. Uh, and I will say I am very, very fortunate. We did 
we were able to conceive and get pregnant pretty much immediately. <laughs> like okay. at the minute I said it, we were like, oh, oh God, okay, are we really prepared? <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, so then that's kind of where the journey started, actually. So where did you, it must have been at first, as you said, you, you were kind of in, implying, and it's true, some people struggle so hard to have babies. Uh, and when did you feel that, you started to feel something change in your disposition. Uh, it, it, you got heightened anxiety, things of that nature. Yeah, kind of immediately. <laughs> That's the crazy part. Immediately uh, meaning right after you found out you were pregnant? Yeah, yeah. Um, I found out, and I found out very early on. I probably found out within like days that I was pregnant because oh, wow. I was aware of it and tracking mm -hmm. and taking tests like consistently. Um, so pretty quickly I started noticing this like sudden like whoosh of anxiety that I've never really felt in such an elongated way before. I mean, if I would feel like nervousness or, you know, like things like that, obviously up until that point in my life. But n this was a new extenuate, like extended phase of like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I can't let this like thought spiral out of my head. It just won't go away. Yeah. That was new. That was, so you never had like those obsessive racing thoughts at prolonged. Not in that way. Not to that extent before. No. Okay. So, um, so you were, you just, I mean, I've talked on here a, a few times, like, um, I don't have any kids. Just, I don't, I don't think I could handle the emotional stress of it. Uh, and um, was it just like, what are we going to do? How am I going to be a parent? Yeah, it was all those things. It was, it was all of the things that, you know, you know how they say like, no one's ever really ready. And then you just like do it. And then you're supposed to like figure out all the things that made you feel like you weren't ready. Well, here we are. Now we have to figure out all the things that we're not ready. <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea how to do this. I'm no more prepared to figure these things out today than I was, you know, three weeks ago before I was pregnant. Yeah. And now we're like, how do we figure out money? How do we figure figure out we were still living in a one-bedroom apartment in the city uh what neighborhood we, uh we were living in north center at the time oh. yes mm. i miss it i miss it a lot it's a great city it, yes it was beautiful um had my favorite little like bagel place right across the street and i was like am i gonna have to give all this up uh, yes, the, the yeah the answer was, was yes. yes the answer unfortunately was yes <laughs> you, when you were feeling panicky and, and feeling that change in your general anxiety feeling did you feel you could speak to people about that well, it was hard because, you know, you'd want to speak to people about it, but everyone was so excited and the excitement just takes over. And anyone that, you know, knew about the pregnancy, especially in the very beginning, were just like my parents uh, and like my closest friends. And, you know, they're they're sharing your joy. They're sharing your excitement. So I would mention it, but it wasn't really, you know, I think this is one thing that a lot of moms feel. It's like you don't really get a lot of space to talk about the negative emotions, especially like during early pregnancy. You can talk about like the aches, the pains, the physical discomforts. Everyone's aware of those but the emotional things those are the things you know people want to people want to see you excited people want to see you feeling joyous because it does bring up a lot of emotions in other people so did you feel you had to mask your anxiety especially i think yeah. so i don't even think i realized i was doing it because i didn't even realize how you know it was kind of one of those like oh surely these anxieties will all go away once the baby is here surely that only gets easier right oh yes mm -hmm. <laughs> surely all these things i'm worried about can't possibly come true okay but. <laughs> so you have the the first rush of finding out you're pregnant and you you realize you have a change in your disposition uh you're much more anxious than you've ever known yourself to be in a prolonged way and then um 
at the twenty week ultrasound, you had uh, that's where they or where you found out the the sex of the mm-hmm. baby, right? Yes. Now, what were you hoping for? Oh, I wanted a girl. You wanted a girl. I wanted a girl. I was all like team girl. I don't know. I just I. I wasn't uh, – who am I kidding? I didn't know what I was going to do with a boy. Uh-huh. I was like – I'm like – I mean, it would have been fine, of course. But at the moment, I was being really selfish, and I'm like, no, I'm, I want a girl. Let's be real. Okay. So you find out she's a girl, so you must have been over the moon. Oh, yeah. We were thrilled. Like, they tell you immediately. We weren't making a big, like, to-do about it. We were like, yeah, we just want to know. So they told us immediately, immediately burst out into tears. The thing about finding out the gender, the reason it's such a big deal is because it's the first piece of information that you have about the baby. that's well said, yeah. That's why it's such a big emotional uh, moment. It's because this is the first piece of real information that makes it, like, a little human and not just this... Goat? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like sucking the life out of you, which it, it does. Yeah. Um, but so that's why it can be such an emotional thing for people because until the baby's born, that's kind of the only thing you know about it. But then once you start knowing the gender, you start assigning all these other ideas, hopes, dreams to it as well. Right. Okay. So you find that out. What else happens? Uh, they decided <laughs> that this was an appropriate moment to also tell me. Uh, they do a lot of testing during uh, that ultrasound. It's like an hour long. I just remember it took forever. Um, and they're looking for lots of different things. And they, for us, they started by telling me that it was a girl. And I'm just sitting there, you know, like I just said, coming up with all these hopes and dreams and aspirations that I'm going to assign to this baby, whether she wants them or not. And <laughs> as all of this is going on, then they're starting to tell me that they see something concerning in this ultrasound. And I'm just kind of nodding along. I'm like, sure, whatever. I'm sure this is all standard. And they're like, well, let's, you know, have you do some additional testing. They get a genetic counselor to come in because the things that they're concerned about are chromosomal uh, abnormalities. Okay. Uh, that can lead to Down syndrome, but also more serious other disorders that could potentially be fatal and like fatal like two weeks after the baby is born, like horrible, awful, terrible things. How soon after you had your ultrasound did you, um, were, did, were they saying this to you? Oh, like 10, like an hour, 10, 10 minutes. They like, they did, they, you know, I thought jelly all over my body and they're talking to me about, you know, like these scary things and they're, they're trying to be really, you know, it's clearly very legal and very, they're just trying to do what they have to do and they're saying Liability. the things they have to say. Yeah. Exactly. Which was fine. And I was like, kind of whatever about all of it. Cause I was, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever. This is just the thing that everybody has to do. But then they... <laughs> I'm just kind of nodding. I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay, I'll go get the blood test now. No problem. And then the genetic counselor, I'll never forget it, looks at me and just goes, you're taking this really well. And then I never took it well after that again. Uh, okay. What's a genetic counselor? Uh, a genetic counselor, as far as I know, is um, a medical professional who specializes in genetical compositions, looks at and looks and sees like, yeah, what the genetic possibilities are of like these really awful diseases, but I think also other things and like, you know, eye color and stuff like that. I'm sure they also can like help you figure that out if you need to. Um, But they also work on like more, you know, preventing serious illnesses and things like that. Gotcha. So you're told that you're taking this very well and they do a number of tests. Now you don't, do you get the test Right away? Nope. <laughs> How long till you got the results? We had to sit with that for one full week, the longest, most painful week of my life. I just remember crying every single day, <laughs> like thinking, because again, I just came up with all of these hopes and dreams for this baby. And now it's like, do you keep the hopes and dreams or do you allow them all to all be crushed? I don't know. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's totally outside of your control, right? Completely outside of your control because it's something that's either already has happened and we're just kind of trying to figure that out or not. I think a version of this is, um, for me, is like when I send somebody a text and they don't text back. It's like the same <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. Like the- yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just kidding. But like, yes, t- something that small for me and I'm like, <laughs> but something like, so consequential like this and you have to wait for a week. For a whole week sitting with it and also very visibly pregnant at this point too because 20 weeks is you know you're halfway through you got a big sizable baby bump so every you know pregnant women get a lot of attention everywhere you go grocery stores whatever everybody just wants to talk to you about it uh and that was the like the big the week that i remember not wanting to talk to anyone about it especially strangers um because i would just burst into tears (laughs) yeah i was trying to avoid doing god okay so you somehow got through that week what did the test come back saying? We are very lucky. And of course, the tech test came back totally normal, totally everybody, you know, very healthy, no abnormalities, nothing <laughs> shouldn't be there. So we were very, very lucky. But the stress of that week never really like left me. <laughs> like I feel like that had traumatic. Yeah, right? it was very traumatic. And it did permanently kind of like just change my way that I feel around, you know, just the unknowns, the possibilities, just how lucky we were to have a healthy baby. Like, whew. So, and you had said earlier that you really wanted a girl. And then when you found out you had a girl before you were told, um, hey, there's a chance for X, Y, and Z. Uh, that's my chromosome pun. Brent, please. Thank you. Um, and uh, you had even thought like, oh, well, maybe this is going to be a big sister to another baby and all these things. Oh, and now had you always wanted multiple kids? No, I don't know. I always kind of just wanted one for whatever reason. That's just kind of how I always, I, I just wanted one girl. I never really thought too far past that. The minute that we found out it was a girl, I remember getting excited and being like, maybe we'll have a ton of kids. And then <laughs> <laughs> minutes later, I was like, no, no, yeah. no, I don't even know if we can get through this one. Yeah. So let's like put all that aside. Okay, yeah. Now, your husband uh, is is a scientist? Yes, he is. He's a chemist. Hey, that's fucking cool. So (laughs) you had told me that during that week when you were having a really hard time, he tried to show you. They told you what the odds were of. They did. I don't exactly remember. They are crazy, crazy. They're such crazy odds. It's actually kind of reckless to even talk to like pregnant people about them because Mm -hmm. it's so unlikely. But they have to let you know if you agree to let them. If you agree to do the testing, then they have to let you know the results is essentially, I think, how it works. Uh, But my husband at the time was trying to comfort me (laughs) because I was kind of (laughs) inconsolable. Uh, And he brought out a. I just remember he brought out this deck of cards and he was like try to pull the same card twice and mm-hmm. he's like that's about as likely as this is wow okay yeah. and i couldn't we did it several times and i was terrified i'm like but what if i do it what if this is the time i pull the same card twice <laughs> oh man that would be that not would good. backfire but that would have really fucked up that <laughs> well, a horrible week yes but it didn't backfire i i couldn't do it it was the odds were against me okay so you're 20 weeks well 21 weeks ish now about you find out that your baby you're very lucky your baby's going to be okay um but you've had this traumatic experience and you're like you know uh maybe i don't want more kids maybe i i just i'm gonna have our beautiful daughter and then we're gonna go on uh with our life another thing i wanted to ask you and you and i talked about this after you found out you're pregnant everything settles in did you were you excited about giving birth (laughs) 
Uh, about as excited as you would be to be told that your body's just going to get hit by a train. It won't kill you, but oh, you'll good. feel all that impact. Yeah. So about as excited as Okay, that. so th- was that uh, scary? No, I was terrified. I feel like this is a thing that people don't, again, another negative aspect of pregnancy that nobody really wants to hear or talk about or laughs off. It's scary. It's just as scary being super pregnant knowing you're about to give birth as it is for everyone that's not pregnant thinking or watching birth scenes in movies or whatnot, being like, yeah, that looks awful. It was terrifying. I tried every day to be like, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Just don't, just don't think about it. Right. <laughs> like, which of course, then you thought about I it. I know. I kept thinking about it. I'm like, no, stop it. Yeah, <laughs> I can't, stop, I stop. can't stop, stop thinking about it every day, every single day. <laughs> and well, there you were for, for 40 weeks, every single day, thinking about what it's going to be like to give birth. And then you, you said something pretty profound to me that I think everybody understands abstractly, mm-hmm. but not many people think about it unless they have been parents. So most people, uh, and especially if they're in the throes of it, you said the day before you went into labor, what was that? Ah, uh, yes. I didn't realize this at the time, but as I've thought about it, reflecting back the day you go the day before you go into labor, truly, because that's the last full day. That's the last day you're going to sleep like a human being. We're going on, if you're lucky, eight months, probably a year, maybe longer. No promises. But you don't really realize that, that that is the last, especially for your first baby. Once you have other ones, I assume at that point that's easier. But Or you just have accepted that fate a little better. But I wasn't ready for that. I mean, I knew it was coming. And, like, you don't sleep great when you're pregnant anyway. Everything kind of, like, gets you ready for this, like, insanity that's to come. But... You know, if you, but you you don't have to get out of bed. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do just yet. Uh, So that last night of sleep before you go into labor, I did not even, you don't even realize. And then labor is the single most exhausting experience of your entire life. And it's, there's no rest again after that. It's not, you can be like, let me go like sleep it off for 12 hours because you're only ever going to sleep in three hour increments following that event. You know, obviously, I've had uh, many friends who've had babies, and um, I was just rereading a memoir uh, of someone who might be on the show, and um, he was speaking about his wife's first uh, labor and the the length of it. I'm not even talking about the immense pain and the effort, the length without sleep then, minus anything else, blows my mind (laughs) how that can I mean, it happens all day, every day. It blows my mind. I know. I know. I kept teasing my husband that he took a couple naps. He went down to the cafeteria. He got himself a nice lunch. Oh, he had a nice lunch? He had a nice lunch. He had a nice dinner as well. Chicken fried steak? I don't don't honestly remember what he ate. I don't think he told me because I think he knew I'd kill him. Uh, But he, uh, all all while I'm sitting there, (laughs) not eating, not sleeping for 36 hours. Wow. 36 hours. hours. I've never stayed up for 36 hours. I think I took a couple naps with there. There was an epidural in there. So there was a little bit. But it's not like you're not napping the way you nap or sleep the way you sleep. You know know what's about to happen to you. We'll call it 36 hours. We'll call it 36 hours. You know what's coming. It's like like, I don't know how those people that like climb Mount Everest, like, you know, how how do you – sleep because you know they're up there for days mm-hmm. that's what i feel like it reminds me of because it's like you're in like sleeping when you're also filled with adrenaline is a very weird phenomenon when you're doing what we are all 
programmed in our brains mm-hmm. to do to propagate the species. Yeah, it's tough to get a cat nap in there. Right. right. It's a little it's a little tough when you're like, I'm about to be ripped in two, but let me take this like twenty minute nap here. And so your baby is born. She's born, yes. Yes. And luckily and we had a very nat good not easy because that's a terrible word, but good birth. <laughs> no, nothing crazy, nothing, nothing unusual, nothing, nothing too devastating or traumatic during that. It happened. And uh, how long were you in the hospital before you went home? We were there for like three days. And it, it, it's excruciating because they come in all hours of the night. And this is pre-COVID because, like I said, my daughter's almost seven. So it was a bit of a different world back then. Uh, you were allowed to have as many, many visitors as you want, which... It's an unfortunate thing that luckily has changed since, I believe. But uh, there was just a lot of people coming and visiting and stopping by. And it it was just a pretty – it was an intense time. But at that time, you're also so filled with all of these crazy hormones that are rushing through your body. And it's like the oxytocin from like the breastfeeding and just the birth and all of this stuff. So it's almost like it's a bit of an adrenaline high, but not really. But it, it's – so it wasn't like this – overwhelm it, it was overwhelming but it wasn't as anxiety filled it's just so exhausting and you're in this weird whirlwind it doesn't really set in until you leave okay and you have to leave they gotta we kick to you leave. out they tell us yeah you gotta you gotta go we have more hotel. mothers yes yeah. very expensive you're right <laughs> so once you got home um you got this new thing that you have to keep alive and tell us about what happened then uh, we called the hospital like I think two hours after we or two or three hours of, after being at home. We're like calling already being like, I don't know if we're doing this right. <laughs> like, are we breastfeeding long enough? Is she getting enough food? Like, oh, my God, like the amount, immense amount of responsibility that you feel like and that they just give you this baby. They're just like, naturally, surely you'll know what to do. You figure it out, but you definitely don't feel like you know what to do. That's the big thing. Like no one feels, especially not for the first. I can't speak to anything past that. But the first baby, you do not feel like you know what you're doing. You literally feel like you just found this baby in the hallway. And you're like, I'm supposed to do what now? Right. So. And you, I'm sure that you guys probably... I don't know, read what to expect sure. when you're expecting oh, we read all, all the that books. shit. And that didn't prepare you for shit. Didn't prepare you for shit. I no. mean, it's like you, you when the baby cries, you help it. <laughs> yeah. So let that be a lesson, everyone. Books don't prepare you for shit. They don't prepare you for shit. Mm-hmm. Brent nodded vigorously. Okay. Um, okay. So you call. I'm, I, 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 I guarantee you I would be calling, texting, posting on the Twitter of the hospital and saying what terrible customer support this is, all that good stuff. Uh, so like everything must feel as if it's quite literally life or death. It does. It really does. I think that's the, one of the hardest aspects of those first, I mean, really first few months, but definitely first few weeks, everything is so urgent. Everything with newborn babies is so immediate. Like, like you can't, if they're having an issue eating or not taking their bottle or not breastfeeding or whatever, you can't be like, all right, well, we'll go see the doctor in like a few days about this. No, yeah, they, <laughs> no, mm-hmm. this is like, we need to figure this out in the next hour or this situation gets dire real quick. Right. right. So it's everything feels so incredibly urgent and incredibly intense. Um, it, it's, it's such an overwhelming feeling. And that definitely contributed to like the immense amount of anxiety by this point that like you started feeling every day that started sitting in uh, like really sinking in of how like whoa (laughs) we got to figure this out we got to figure this out now if there's a problem yeah god again 
one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I don't have any kids. <laughs> um, and I think you called it like a slow-paced action movie, yes, which I love that phrase. <laughs> that's what it feels like because the stakes are so high and the decisions have to be made so fast. But the plot is so boring because <laughs> yeah. nothing is happening. It's do we go to Target and buy a different kind of nipple for this bottle or not? But it's like the biggest decision you're going to make in that, that hour that you have to figure this out because if she didn't seem to get enough, you know, we were do and we were doing a combination of things as well. I was breastfeeding her, but I was also giving her bottles to supplement. Uh, she had some eating issues in the beginning. She had a bit of a lip tie and a tongue tie. What's a lip tie? I, it's hard. I'm not quite sure how to explain it, but I think it's like, it just, uh, it's like too, like there's a little bit too much skin or something oh. that holds it together. So it just makes it harder for them to oh. like eat mm -hmm. and get like express as much milk as they're trying to express. My, I think my best understanding, we did eventually get that taken care of. Um, but those first few weeks while we were trying to, like, struggle through that was definitely intense of just trying to uh, constantly, you know, maybe try different things or going and, you know, I think we had a couple different bottles that we were trying out with her. I was still breastfeeding and pumping and pretty much anything and everything to make sure we keep this baby going. Yeah. And, you know, you said you get pregnant. You feel more anxiety than you ever have in your life. And then I believe you said that once you brought the baby home, it was like twice that, yes. that anxiety. Yes, it was definitely a lot more. And a lot of it definitely comes from the sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll say that it is clinical sleep deprivation technically is what parents go through at least that first year where you're sleeping, you know, only a handful of hours at a time if you're lucky. Um, if you're not lucky, you're sleeping like one hour on, one hour off, one hour on. And then you kind of like every morning you wake up and you do the math of how many hours do I think I got that night. Wow. Like maybe five. Cool. And when you're when you're awake, you're you know, I cope with anxiety by going on a run or I cope with anxiety by hosting a podcast about it or, you know, each and everything. But you not not to mention also that you just gave birth. So mm -hmm. your body is recovering. Yes. But you can't cope really with the, that strong anxiety because it's like, well, I have to keep I have to keep being there for the baby at all times. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that's also what makes postpartum such a unique and difficult experience, whether it be depression, anxiety, whatever. Yeah, there's no real ability to cope because you can't. You can't take, a, you know, take, you know, time and be like, I'm going to go get my nails done and go somewhere, you know, just have some me time. A spa day. Yeah, no, we're mm -hmm. not doing that, and especially right. not off the bat. You know, eventually, as time goes on, of course, those things get easier. And I do recommend that to my clients and I do encourage that. But those first few months, it's like you're also just like your head isn't in that. That's not what you're thinking about. That's not what you're caring about. There's no, you kind of forget. It's like this amnesia of like everything that you did before, everything you were before. And it's like you have the sole purpose of taking care of this child. And I think I always tell my clients it takes, you know, pretty much that first year for that amnesia to subside. And you kind of remember these things of like, oh, that's who I used to be. That's what I used to do. That's right. Like, you know, like going on runs or mm -hmm. getting my nails done or whatever. Like those things are all out the window for a good while for there. Um, so there's like I always say there's really no real way to cope with the emotions you feel those first few months at least. Uh, you just kind of have to ride 
write them, write them out. Uh, and then the ways you cope or the things you do for yourself are just so much smaller, like taking a shower or taking a nap or eating. Those are, you know, just basic human needs being met are ways to. That's, that's, that's <laughs> called pampering at that point. Yes, it's called pampering. Yeah, it's yeah. really luxurious. And mm-hmm. you got a meal and took a shower. <laughs> Was it, it like if you take a shower, you're obviously not going to bring the baby in the no. shower. So was it weird to be away from your baby for the first time? Yeah, because I mean, I can only you can only shower if someone else is there. Obviously, so you need so that creates this like need for support and everything. Um, yeah, I remember the first time I did it was like the weirdest shower of my entire life because you just feel like I mean, you do feel like you just climbed Mount Everest. Like your body is still so sore. Every muscle you have is sore uh, and weird and nothing is normal. And then your hair is the craziest hair you'll ever have. Um, <laughs> like so nasty. Like just washing my hair took like probably the longest I've ever had to do. do. And then, yeah. And then you also want to get out of there because you're want to get back to the baby. Right. Um, but it was a very strange experience for sure. Uh, something that, you know, Brent, myself, any other male will never know mm-hmm. is that you had to feel like a, a badass to be able to do that. Yeah. To sh- be able to give birth to a human. That shower, I remember for me personally, like, I, I felt that that was one of the, like, the, you know, kind of like a little rays of shun- sunshine moments and all of this that are like kind of a positive memory I have now where I'm like, yeah, I felt so badass. I was like, wow, my body did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I got through that. It was awful. I don't ever need to do that again, but I did do it. <laughs> I did get to do that. Um, yeah, you do. You feel really like empowered and like, like yeah, yep. I can do anything except for take care of this baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I do we, anything but this. We as a society... Uh, see our sponsor uh, <laughs> tend to tend to take for granted the strength and power of women to be able to give birth to a children, mm-hmm. child, let alone everything else that they do. But we're focusing on childbirth right here. Yeah. <laughs> and it happens all day, every day. Look time. around where you are. There's 7 billion people on the planet. <laughs> um, and it's just an amazing, amazing thing. So I'm glad that even in retrospect, you were able to look back and be like, yeah, that was pretty, it was really, it was pretty badass. I mean, I will say, you know, you do get to a point where you're like, you kind of have no choice. That's, that's the only way to cope with it. It's like, well, there's really no way out here. (laughs) It's either we go through that or, you know, (laughs) right. So (laughs) that's it. Or that's it. Like you have the baby home family. I'm sure is coming by to see it. Friends, all that stuff. And it's it's almost is it fair to say, tell me if if I'm wrong mm-hmm. here, it's is it almost like a rehashing of when you first found out you're pregnant. Like everybody's so thrilled and so happy. And so you have to be so thrilled and so happy. But are you thrilled and happy all the time when you're those first couple months? No. No. <laughs> no. Hence hence the whole postpartum thing. And hence the thing that I think is, you know, just not talked about enough, which is why I'm excited to get to just put it out there and say it, that I felt these things, I thought these thoughts. And I have I know that I've had countless numbers of clients tell me that they have felt these things and thought these thoughts. And I know that there's millions more women out there who feel these things and don't talk about it. But no, it is, it's really, you know, you put on your happy face and 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 it is such as this crazy waves of emotions that, you know, I think the happy moments you have are real. And and it is a joy to see people come by and visit and look at the baby and meet your baby for the first time. And there is something amazing about that. But all the while, you know, for me personally, and this is where for me, it became a lot more of like an anxiety thing than a depression thing, because I was uh, just my little therapy quib 
tidbit here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always say depression is sadness about the past. Anxiety is fear of the future. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Brent, do you have a tattoo gun? (laughs) Yeah. So you can experience both all the time because Mm -hmm. they're kind of like targeting different aspects of your life. Uh, But for me personally, I feel like it was anxiety because I was terrified of the future. It wasn't, I was just freaking out that like as much as I loved having people come by and visit, I was like, oh my God, wait, is any, am I never going to hang out with one of my friends for more than an hour ever again? Because that's kind of what happens those first few months. And again, like, it's not like I had the emotional or mental or physical energy even to get through an hour with another person. I mean, even that was excruciatingly exhausting because you are just so, you know, drained of everything, of course. But that's where it becomes anxiety because it's like this irrational fear that even though I'm so tired and I just want to be left alone always, like, no, I was freaking out constantly in my own mind that like, oh my God, what if this is it? I just never get to have a social life again. I just get to sit here and like hold a baby, which is lovely. But, but you know, there was a part of me that remembers that I'm a human and needed more. Uh, and that part of the, that part of me was screaming. And that's what happens for a lot of people. But like, it's not, you know, not the thing that people want to talk about. And there's a lot of shame in that. It's a feeling that passes, which is why I think, you know, working with postpartum is really enjoyable to me because I know everybody gets better because yeah. <laughs> this feeling goes away and it gets easier over time. But it's really common those first few months to have a lot of like, actually have a lot of regret. People don't want to talk about that, but uh, I definitely experienced it. And, you know, it waves, not like overarching, not nonstop, but you'd get these occasional like waves of what did I do? My life used to be so luxurious. I could eat and sleep and shower whenever I wanted. And now that's all gone. And like you're just stuck in this cycle and it can be isolating and hard and boring and emotional. And you're like, I did this. I chose this. This was me. And so these are all those things that you're Mm -hmm. saying were those things that people think but don't really talk about. But Mm -hmm. when you were feeling them, did you feel shame in in thinking those things? Oh, my God. So much shame. So much. You didn't really want to tell anyone that you're feeling that way because it's like so embarrassing. And so like, am I doing it wrong? Is it me? Am I broken? Like, why aren't I, you know, because and and I will say I did. I felt happy days. I think I'm, you know, I know I've worked with clients who've had less happy days than I did. Like, I know I, I definitely still, you know, experienced a lot of joy and fun and have so many positive memories of those first few months. But despite all that, it's still so shameful to even have one negative thought about it. You know, we're supposed to only be sunshine and joy, and this is only supposed to be a positive thing. And we can't possibly consider anything else but that. That's right. That's the nuclear family, the thing that everybody says built civilization, but has only been around for not that long. Okay, Uh, so you get through those first couple months. You keep talking about the first couple months, first couple Mm -hmm. months. So that was obviously for you. Yeah, that was the the... real trying time. Um, Let's just say the days get better after the first as the days were Mm -hmm. getting better. You had said that the nights were still. Oh, yes. After a while, for me personally, this is 
my thing was nighttime. I would just get this sense of anxiety, even as I was like, even as you get better during the day and you get like, you know, we got the eating stuff. We figured all that out. We got all, we got that down, got the breastfeeding down. We were doing great with all these other things. It was the sleep because, you know, I just really like sleep. Mm. It's just mm -hmm. who I am. It's, I've never, you know, when you're like a teenager and you sleep a lot, <laughs> like everyone tells you, like when you grow up, that's going to change. That never changed. <laughs> like I never grew out of you that. You slept a lot as a teenager? Yeah. Oh, I didn't need a lot of sleep as a teenager. Really? I need a lot now, but I'm like a hundred. Really? Like I remember being a teenager and like Saturdays, I'd be like, I'm going to get up at like 1 p.m. Well, I guess <laughs> I would sleep in a little bit, but I, I went like 20 months in a row with out going to sleep before midnight and now that would be just it uh, would kill me immediately <laughs> i still go to sleep after midnight oh no i'm i'm crazy, a, I'm, a morning, I'm a morning person <laughs> for sure i like getting up at like 5 30 oh my god oh no, it's the best no, 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 it's no. the best 5 30 is the middle of the night what i consider oh is it okay yeah, yeah. but here's a fun tr trick okay uh so we because my husband and i are both really like sleeper sleeping and we're both night owls Guess who we also taught to be a night owl and to not be a morning person? Oh, that's <laughs> Guess a good who call. also likes to sleep in on the weekends now? Smart move. Smart move. <laughs> so the three of us. There you go. Okay, see? Parenting see, 101 easier. right there. It, it, yeah, teach your child to sleep how you sleep. Actually, that is a thing I do tell people. Like, you don't have to let them be these little morning, like, early risers. That's a, I don't know don't if I've to. ever heard anybody say that, and that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, actually, that is like a real thing I talk about a lot. It's like, no, teach them to sleep how you sleep because that. why should you torture yourself? Like, <laughs> if you're, I'm not a naturally, I'm not a morning person. I'm just not. Mm -hmm. And why do I have to be? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I don't have a career that starts in the, you know. That's true. That you kind of, kind of make your own hours. I work my own hours. Yeah. Nobody does therapy before like 10 a.m. Come on. Oh, I do. <laughs> but that's me. Um, okay, so how long until... Uh, after you had had the baby, did you have a night where you and your husband had a night to yourself? Meaning, oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Like, it is It is very hard. Uh, that's, I think, part of the, the hard thing and why I keep saying the first few months is just because it's so relentless. <laughs> it's just so relentless. Like, you, you think you can get a break, and it's like, no. So I'm super, super lucky and very, very fortunate. My family is very supportive and helpful. But for the most part, they uh, they wanted to help immediately and uh, a few months in we were like you know my mom was like you need sleep <laughs> i can tell you need real sleep it's like let me have uh she wanted my daughter to like stay with her overnight and she was she would watch her and she would do the nighttime feedings and she's like you sleep i'm like all right all right i'm gonna do it and i knew this wasn't really i knew that it was too much of a fantasy but i still wanted to try anyway the well, fun, why 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 was it a fantasy because when you're breastfeeding you can't really sleep through the night even if there isn't a baby to feed because <laughs> uh milk comes in and the best way i can describe it to a man who's likely not going to experience breastfeeding personally here's uh, hoping yeah <laughs> um it, it feels like you just really have to pee Oh, like, it just feels like you re like you can't sleep through it. Like you can't just ignore it. Like you have. So I, I would have still have to wake up. I remember that night being like, I'm going to sleep. And then nope, it's like 3 a.m. And I'm like crying because I still had to get up to pump because there's not you can't sleep through that. You can't pass push past because your body is just making that milk and making yeah, that milk. Yeah, and then it's there. When it's, there's it's enough. expecting yeah. the baby to be there. So I was like, so I still had to wake up like twice. So after that, anytime it was like offered, it was like, well, this is pointless until I'm, you know, done breastfeeding. I didn't really bother trying to, um, wow. but then at some point, 
that that changed. But yeah, that's just the relentless nature of newborns. That I just so much in those first two months, and I think you had told me too. You would rather go through labor again than yeah. do those first two months again. Obviously, it's a shorter amount of time, but the trauma on the body. Right. Yeah. Well, I, like I had a friend tell me this once, and it stuck with me. And she told me this before I went into labor. I say this all the time now too. Labor is just one day. It's one crazy day, but really, in the end, it's like one day. <laughs> you can do anything for one day, but the relentless like nature of breastfeeding that happens afterwards—no, that's every day for months on end, and until you get it and you get it right. So, I, I would definitely, and I feel like most moms <laughs> might trade in uh, doing labor just one more time versus like the pains and uh, emotional roller coaster of breastfeeding. Wow. <laughs> um. Wow. Okay. So you've got your daughter. Yes. You got your baby. The way that people, I'm sure that you were saying they come up to you in the grocery store and they want to talk to you about being pregnant mm-hmm. or uh, where, did you still live in the city when you were pregnant? When I was pregnant, we lived in the city. We moved to the suburbs when my daughter was about eight months old. Okay. So you're still in the city. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you're ever on the train. I'm sure that people are like, oh, you can have my seat, all that stuff, right? The goodness of, of, of mankind, coming, humankind coming through. But also, I bet when you have a baby, do people start saying, hey, uh, when's, when's the next one? Oh, my God, immediately. immediately. How do they say that to you? I don't know. I don't know if it's just the people I'm surrounded No, like, what with. do they say? Oh, they say, like, when are you having another one? You guys should have more. Don't wait. You certainly shouldn't wait. Just hop right on it. Why? But did they give reasons? Uh, I think people are just projecting their own needs, desires, failures. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so it started shortly after you had your daughter. Very shortly after my daughter. And it was, like, definitely my, you know, extended family members would say things, but also my... Um, my you know, just random strangers, <laughs> random strangers uh, enjoyed just feeling like they could come up to me and <laughs> make those comments. And I thought, <laughs> wow. So random strangers. Yes. I, and, and, and it, especially as my daughter got older, once she was like a toddler, I would get a lot of random strangers making comments. I remember I was at a gymnastics class with her once. Uh, she must've been like three years old. Uh, and we were just sitting in the bleachers with the other moms watching and some random woman I don't know at all started asking me about her. And I said, that's my you know, daughter. She's my own. She asked if I had others. I said, no, she's an only child. And they're like, oh, well, you know, she's just going to be selfish and spoiled. You got to have more. You just got to. And I'm like, oh, OK, lady, I don't know. <laughs> like, how much information am I supposed to disclose here? She actually um, said that yes. she's going to be selfish and spoiled. She absolutely said she's going to be selfish and spoiled. Like, thanks, because certainly no child that has siblings has ever been either of those qualities. Yeah. Having siblings immediately removes those personality traits from a human. It's really amazing. It's true. I mean, you'd think with my sister not being a doctor, I would be selfish and spoiled. Uh, Yeah. But I'm, if anything, Brent, no, Brent. Okay. (laughs) Uh, No, exactly right. That, oh, I just, I'm still blown away by the fact that people who don't know you this isn't like your mother or mm-hmm. your sister or, you know, your best friend or, or whomever saying you should have another one. You know, it'd be great if she had a playmate, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. This is somebody at a gymnastics class. Yes. Now, did that person have children? She had a couple and one. Well, of I them hope was so, because <laughs> she, if she only had one, that'd be a selfish kid. <laughs> 
least remember the one kid was like running all over the place and the teacher had to like – normally I would never judge, judge a child, but – well, if, right. If they're running, you're like, well, if you're going to do that to me, yeah, the natural we're... human instinct. Right. I'm going to do it right back. So, well, And that's why we have wars. Right. Oh, God. <clears throat> well, and other horrible things <laughs> <clears throat> like speed dating. Okay. So uh, did you guys know – when I say you guys, you two, you and your husband, uh, shortly after your daughter was born, like, okay, you know what? We're going we're gonna to have one and that will be it. Yeah, um, I think we like, you know, you're in such survival mode. And for us, I think that survival mode, I think it's still here. I think we're still in it. Mm -hmm. But maybe when she goes to college. But, you know, <laughs> you're hopefully just... she majors in theater. Oh, God. Oh, boy. <laughs> we'll have a few big conversations if that were to ever come up. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like you're just in such a mode that it's like we never, we, we, it never felt ready for it. We, it wasn't even really much of a conversation yet because we're always just so in, in in it. You know, here we are just trying to get through this that the idea of adding on another just felt like, you know, we're good. We're good. Mm -hmm. We know how much we can handle and how much we can carry. And this is this is a lot. Yeah. This is taking every bit of me. So this is good. And I think it's really important to point out um, – I, I can't believe I have to say this, but it's really important to point out that it's totally reasonable, normal, and fine for parents to say, I'm fine with just one child. This is what I can handle. It is, but society doesn't like it. Wait a minute. <laughs> did you know about my sponsors today? Because how did they know that I was – this know. is weird. The, you mean societal norms? Societal norms, yes. <laughs> you mean that uh, – well, the, the fact that a family uh, – happy family is 2.5 kids – yeah, that's the that's the secret formula to success in life, mm -hmm. and anything but that won't do. Yeah, that's that's very right. That's very 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 correct. But at what point do people or are people still saying to you, you need to have another kid? They've laid they've backed off a touch only because the people who would be, still be saying it have heard me for seven years now, being like, no, I'm pretty sure this is it. I'm pretty sure I'm good. Until then, now they're finally, you know, maybe starting to believe me. Why do you think um, they didn't believe you at first? People just don't, because they, they presume they know better. <laughs> or, again, does it go back to, like, the well, societal norm, societal norm and, um, look, I, I give my sister shit on this show all the time, mainly because she's not a doctor, but <laughs> she... I know from my experience, this is me, um, we, all we did was fight for 20 years of my life. Mm. And now we talk like every day. And that's a wonderful thing to have. Yes. So I'm not anti-sibling. I'm just anti-my-sibling. Got it. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But um, so th obviously there's, there's good things about siblings. There's wonderful things about siblings. But it's also just as good to have one kid or or – Hold on, everybody, just hold your breath. No kids. No kids. Yeah, Brent, woo! <laughs> I did have a client recently tell me, and this really stuck with me too, also another uh, parent of an only, perhaps the whole uh, needy for a sibling came from the whole spare and heir thing. You know, can't have a heir without the spare. Got to mm, back well, up a little bit. I, I, I guess I would assume that we all think we're royalty. We do, though. <laughs> I mean, Brent does, but you know, he's going to leave everything to his dogs <laughs> and they're good dogs. Good, good pups. Um, yeah, we do think we're royalty. We think we're very <laughs> special and we're just, as Bill Hicks said, we're a virus with shoes and Bill Hicks was right about everything. So 
I think and one thing that you said to me, mm-hmm. speaking of siblings, speaking of mothers, speaking of parenthood, you said something that I found to be quite wise, mm-hmm. which is a happy, healthy mom is more important than a sibling. Yes. Tell me what you mean by that. Yes. Uh, I think, you know, if, if, if there's anyone who's, con, you know, feeling the societal pressure uh, to have more kids and might feel natural or easy for you, you know, I think that's a thing to think about. Like, the best thing we can give our kids is a health, happy, healthy parents. We have to be to take care of them and to give them what they need and meet their needs is we have to meet our own. And if having more children might take that capacity away from you, then I don't know. Not necessarily, you know, it's everyone's going to make their own choices, of course. But, you know, for me, for me and my family, we realized that, you know, we just our mental health kind of came first. And we felt like, you know, going through what we went through, which was not even a bad experience. I would say it was a pretty normal, fairly uneventful experience. Um, So it's pretty typical that, you know, we just didn't want to take anything and take any risk of you know, not having that recovery be the same or coming, bouncing back be the same. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really noteworthy to point it out that, yeah, in the middle of it, as you said, when you're in it, it just feels like unrelenting because it is, mm-hmm. but your experience and you and your husband's experience was a normal experience. Yeah, it really was. And it's, it's worth saying, like, even though it was a normal experience, even though you both love your daughter more than anything, that doesn't mean you're not going to have these thoughts. And that doesn't mean that millions of people do not suffer the very difficult um, traumas or I don't even, I don't know if that's the right word, the very difficult times after having a baby, keeping the baby alive. And it doesn't mean yes. you don't love the baby. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes. No, we love the baby so much. <laughs> you know, no, no, of course now, of course, and here we, I can talk about this all so easily because my daughter is almost seven. Yeah. She's off in camp somewhere doing who knows what, you know, like. Camp? I know. Oh God, it's not theater camp, is it? No. Well, okay. Oh yes, it is. Oh yes, God. Is. Not even oh my no. God. <laughs> it's a performing arts and oh, craft no. camp. <laughs> Oh, All right, now I we've got to the do? real maybe topic of today's never, episode. Maybe if you were a theater major, you should just not be allowed uh, <laughs> to make choices I know we're all shitting on theater. By the way, theater major is, is a fine major. It really is. It's I, a wonderful I, thing. I, um, I, I couldn't do my job joking. if I didn't major in theater. For sure. For sure. I couldn't I don't know act how like I, I like Brent life. if I had majored in theater. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so she's at camp. Obviously, doing whatever you know. The reason it's, it's that, easier now, so yes. The reason that parents go through that hell is because they love the child and they want the child exactly. to live and oh, survive. Yeah. And she is the greatest. And you know, all those initial feelings they go away. Like she is the greatest part of our lives. She's you know we. There's no greater. Nothing gives me more joy than being with my child. <laughs> like yeah. nothing is as wonderful as that. But you know, I think that that just goes to show how intense those feelings are and how intense that period of time is and how, you know, I think a lot of new parents, they take, you know, you know, kind of where I'm at today with having a nearly seven-year-old child and seeing that attachment and that bond and how easy it is to access all these positive emotions. And they expect that to happen immediately. And Mm. the big thing is the truth is that it doesn't always happen immediately and it takes time and you've got to like, you know, it's a relationship like any other. You got to kind of build it. That's very, very wise. And again, <laughs> something that's not, I don't believe, said enough. It's, it's not. And I know it's not because I have so many people tell me 
that they feel this immense shame and guilt that they are like, why isn't it look like this? Why doesn't it look like the way it's supposed to look in movies and TV shows and whatever the representation they have in their head? And it's like, because that's just not real. Like, it is a relationship and we are human beings. And even if it's a relationship with a human I made, it's still a relationship mm. and I have to go through those hard times and bumps and build that bond. And we, you know, once you get it and, and you will, and you will, everyone will, if you're there for it and you want it, you will. Uh, yeah. And then it's very rewarding. Yeah. And, you know, I usually close by saying like, Hey, um, what's something that you want to share with everybody that maybe you didn't say? I mean, I feel like you've said a, a number of really uh, meaningful things about this specific topic, which, before I spoke with you uh, ahead of the show, I obviously knew it existed, um, but I had a very cursory understanding of it and just didn't really realize a number of the things that you talked about today. And so I appreciate you so much coming on and sharing these stories because, look, it it takes a lot to just be like, yeah, I had these thoughts at these times and I had selfish mm -hmm. thoughts and, uh, you know, society says mothers should never be selfish and blah, 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 blah. So – with that being said, before we wrap up or as we're wrapping up, is there anything that you kind of want to say at the end to impart uh, that you may have not already said? Um, I'm sure I've already said it, but, you know, one of the reasons I love working with postpartum is because it gets better. <laughs> I tell that to all my therapist friends when they ask about it. I'm like, oh, but it's the best population because – it gets easier. A lot of these problems, they, they naturally, with time, it'll heal those things. And watching people go from, you know, this deep, hard, dark place sometimes to, you know, this true, like, light at the end of the tunnel uh, is incredibly amazing. And if you yourself happen to be anywhere in that dark place, just know that, yeah, that it, you will get through it. It happens. And it's super, super normal. All right. Um, that's... Wonderful. I do have one last question. Yes. yes. When are you going to have another kid? Oh, for God's sakes. <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Marina, thank you so much for coming yes. on. I really, really, truly appreciate it. I think it's a very valuable story, and it's a story that millions of people um, deal with every day. Yes. And um, I just think it's kind and generous and brave of you to come on. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, sure. To everybody else, uh, I even said before, right before we started recording, I was like, all right, say the email. That's what I was saying in my head. Say the email. Say the email. Uh, I didn't say the email. Uh, so I'll say it now. If you would like to be a guest on the show, please email us at sadtimeskc. That's K's and ketchup, C's and catsup. SadTimesKC at gmail.com, and we can let you know how it works. Also, Brett and I are working on a few things that we're going to build out to get a little more interactive, both on social media and in, in other ways. So stay tuned for that, for some announcements on that. Um, you can find us on Facebook if you just search Sad Times. Ours is the one with the, the badass logo, the black and white logo. It's a, a face with an X and a heart for eyes. And then, oh, yes, it's right over here to my left. Uh, and then the word happy crossed out. Uh, with a line for the mouth. Uh, so please come over, join the Sad Times group on Facebook. Um, I might even start an Instagram this week if I'm feeling really, really crazy. Um, did you know about Instagram? No, I haven't heard of it yet. Yeah, me either, apparently. Oh, um, but uh, find us on Facebook. Please tell your friends. If you love the show, um, please give us a review, give us a follow, and I'll end 
to remind everyone something I try to remind myself every day, you know, there's always room for kindness and grace, no matter what you're going through or what you may be feeling, especially with yourself. Um, I forget it every day. Um, we can always know that there's always room for kindness and grace. And we'll see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.